getting the right type of talent in today's world that knows how to keep pace with that change needs to be top of mind for every company, whether they're you know, a Fortune 50 or, uh, or someone starting with their budding idea. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another edition of Predicting the Turn. Today, I'm excited to welcome my good friend, Nick Kremitis, who's the CEO founder of Hunt Club. Nick, welcome to the show. Dave, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Well, let's start uh, talking a little bit more about your background. You've packed a lot into the last decade, from varsity college athlete to management consultant to venture capitalist and to startup founder. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that path and what led you to uh, today running Hunt Club? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very nonlinear path that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, so happy to unpack it. So I, uh, I graduated in 2009, right during the peak of the recession, and my whole life was you know, tennis. Like I wanted to be a professional tennis player when I graduated and when I grew up. So, so what I did was I ended up playing my first professional tournament out in Decatur, Illinois. I'll never forget it. And, um, and basically was there for about seven or eight days, you know, got, got an actual ATP point and, uh, and basically looked at my entire eight days and realized that I'd spent, you know, something like 12 to 1500 bucks on the entire week of training and rackets restringing and new shoes and made about a $600 check for the entire effort, so quickly realized that you know professional tennis wasn't really a feasible route for me, and so to really start to think about what's next. So my first job out of school, I coached the Northwestern women's tennis team. Great experience; they're number one in the country, Big Ten champs, and leveraged that experience then get into you know consulting shortly after. Met a bunch of great people that helped me transition from professional and professional tennis and college tennis into actual consulting. And then, um, you know, really through a series of, of building different companies and ideas and projects and getting to know you through the brandery, you know, kind of had a miscellaneous path into, you know, failing a business, kind of restarting and doing some consulting work. And then, you know, then shortly after having the pleasure of getting to build some technology for a local family office in Chicago, and they really loved the idea of venture investing in startups and supporting early stage companies. And you know, sort of said, I know everybody at this point, you should let us help us do that. And, and the whole idea kind of stemmed from there. So what we built today is essentially a business called New Coast Ventures. New Coast Ventures is a hybrid venture studio where we invest in startups, start our own companies, and, um, and still big soft, build software for big companies and small. And, and that led us to, you know, the second company we've incubated, which is Hunk Club. So a lot, it's a, it's a weird journey and a weird story, but it's been fun transitioning from sports to consulting to, early stage tech companies to investing back to back to founding. That's wonderful. I love that. You know, it's interesting with the college athlete because when I look at startup founders, a lot happen to be former varsity athletes or come from the military and backgrounds of that nature. What do you think you learned during your time really competing at that highest level of sports that has helped you as a startup founder and as an investor as you evaluate founders and other startups? Yeah, I think if you look at, you know, why I think former athletes just make great professionals general in the business community it, and startups and venture-backed companies, so on and so forth, it's, it's really two things it comes down to. One, most college athletes or most athletes really understand the concept of winning and losing on a daily basis, but coming back to compete the next day. And I think that's a really big important of, and part and part of, of building a company is, 
you know, you're going to win a major customer, you're going to lose a major customer, your best employee is going to leave, you're going to recruit an incredible person to come join and build a company. So it's, it's really tempering the high and lows. And I think tennis is a really interesting sport for that because, you know, you can make the quarterfinals of the biggest turn of Wimbledon, but you're still, you still got eighth place. There's only one winner. So I think um, having that daily win and loss and understanding how to measure those ups and downs and still progress forward, I think is a huge part about what makes athletes great founders or investors or people that understand the highs and lows of business. And I think the second thing is just consistency and improvement. So it's, you know, at a young age, you're trained to continue to get better at something regardless of the results and come in and just, you know, keep working on your craft. So whether it's, it's, you know, you missed a bunch of forehands in your last match and you lost, well, you come in and you work on your forehand every day for, for a year and, or your serve isn't really improving. You come in and you work on your serve. So I think you look at a lot of data points of what makes people successful in, in entrepreneurship in general. I think it's resilience and consistency of, of getting back to work. Makes total sense. So, you know, talking about Hunt Club, that's your latest venture. And in full disclosure, it's a company where I'm both an investor and Hunt Club also happens to be the inaugural sponsor for this show. Can you talk to us more about Hunt Club and what inspired you really to start that business? Yeah. Yeah. So in 2014, when I was really working on new codes, what I'd realized is, you know, I kept referring people that got hired by executive recruiters. So, and I was the summer of 14 and what happened almost at the same recruiter three or four times and a couple others where they'd reach out to me, they'd see somebody that I was connected to on LinkedIn and they'd ask for an introduction. And I'd say, sure, you know, Tom, meet Sue, Sue, meet Tom. And I'd shoot it off without really thinking about it. And, you know, 90 days later, I'd actually get an email from the person that I introduced to the recruiter saying, you know, thank you so much for that introduction. I actually would have never considered this opportunity had it not come from you, but I'm taking the job now and I'm really excited about it. And it happened multiple times. And it just, it got to a point where I started to realize, you know, if this is the primary way that the best recruiters really kind of activate talent is really through subject matter experts, vetting and introducing people through their network. There's no real platform or system or, or methodology to do that kind of at scale. So really started studying the industry and realizing that, you know, the best executive recruiters do this just really manually. And then realize that, you know, the worst recruiters, a lot of folks primarily in the contingency world, don't really care about relationships. They care about making a transaction. So we, we kind of set off to build something different, leveraging the power of the network and the best relationships. Perfect. Well, and, and that's such a comment of, you know, that inspirational story of I saw an itch and it's what makes an entrepreneur different is a lot of people see something and have an idea. But an entrepreneur is actually going to take that idea and go say, I'm going to start a company with that. So it's great. So let's talk about talent then. And, you know, the things you've discovered as you've started becoming a, an executive recruiter and learning this world of what talent is. Why do you think talent is so important to companies, both big and small, as they look at this world of change that we're facing and as they try and predict the turn? Yeah. I mean, it's talent's the most important thing. So I think you know, one of the things we believe at Hunk Club is there is a clear mismatch between how important the talent is to a company versus, you know, generally the types of folks that are serving it and, and providing that type of service. So, you know, as large enterprise go through massive digital transformation, as, you know, the next Dollar Shave Club, club is being born somewhere else, you know, getting the right people that know how to grow and, and move and be adaptable at a rapid pace and speed to really you know, keep pace with all the different things that are happening with technology transforming the world 
is the most important asset for the future. So I think, you know, traditionally, like you look at a lot of larger companies and there's a very clear and defined corporate structure and path and, and hierarchy and, and ways to grow. And I think, you know, technology kind of has thrown a wrench into all of that. And I think one of the best examples is that, you know, it took decades and decades and decades for Procter & Gamble to become a public company and Dollar Shave Club reached a billion dollar plus valuation and outcome in sub six years. And getting the right type of talent in today's world that knows how to keep pace with that change needs to be top of mind for every company, whether they're, you know, Fortune 50 or, uh, or someone starting with their budding idea. So let's double click on that a little bit. You know, we're in a tight labor market you know, probably the tightest ever we've seen for top talent. And that means the best talent is passive. They're not actively searching for their next role. They're happy probably where they are. What has Hunt Club learned about how do you attract this top talent to leave, you know, an opportunity they're happy with to go take a risk on something new? Yeah, really two, two really critical things. The first thing is all the channels today are totally saturated. And what I mean by that is, you know, five to seven years ago, if you wanted to reach out to somebody and introduce an opportunity to them, the probability of them responding on email or via LinkedIn or whatever text message, however you were trying to access them, you know, it's flattering to receive an opportunity. So people would respond. In today's world, with, you know, getting billions of marketing messages pushed your way across all these channels, there's so much noise that if you don't use a real relationship, one that has trust, it's nearly impossible to get somebody to actually listen to, to what you're working on and, and what the opportunity might be. So point one is always think about leveraging great relationships to introduce opportunities. It's the best way to attract passive talent. Because the truth of the matter is there's always five to 10 people in your life that, you know, no matter what stage in your career you're at, if they call and say, I have something you should listen to, you listen. The second thing is I think really rethinking the candidate experience. So in a, in the tightest labor market ever, you know, people have a ton of options. So if you're not rolling out the red carpet as you invite people to learn about your company, educate them on why it's a great opportunity, really introduce them to the people driving, you know, a lot of the levers of the business, really introduce them to creating transparency into, you know, where you're going and, and really make them feel bought into everything. You know, people, people won't join. It, there's too many options out there. There's too many distractions out there. So you need to get somebody emotionally invested by rolling out the red carpet and creating a great candidate experience. So two things, Dave. One, leverage the best relationships to, to access the talent that you want to talk to. And two, um, you know, really roll out the red carpet as you get them into a process. Love that. So, you know, on the flip side, you know, the Fortune 500 is really in many cases competing to keep this talent and, you know, sometimes even attract the talent in the first place because they know they need somebody different to help them in this, uh, this new world. So how do blue chip companies need to evolve their approach to keeping talent from going to an Amazon, a Facebook, or that next great kind of dollar shave club? Yeah, I think blue chips have two problems. One is retaining their top talent. And two is actually attracting a new class of talent to help push their business into the next generation. And both of them are equally challenging for them. So I think from a retention perspective, companies need to introduce opportunities that are atypical and don't have a set career path. And what I mean by that is the reason why people leave Procter & Gamble you know, Coca-Cola, Boeing, to go join the next VR, AR, 
Facebook, you know, Amazon, Starship, Club, whatever it might be, is because the opportunity to expedite, expedite their own career path and growth, given the opportunities they're given internally at a company, you know, are an order of magnitude more from a responsibility perspective based on the pace and how fast the company is growing. So in order for, for larger blue chips to really compete with the best talent of today, you know, it's no longer about dollars and cents. It's about giving somebody an opportunity to achieve and understand what their ceiling is and continue to push thresholds and limits within a company. And not, and not being adhered to a traditional, you know, promotion schedule of every two years. You are stuck in an associate brand manager until you achieve X, Y, and Z in two years, you know, goes up. And I think it's, that's the difference between going to a, a fast growing company and, and the tech sector versus kind of being shackled to whatever traditional structure the company has, a larger company has. Yeah, no, that's dead on. And, you know, it, it is that progression, you know, that pyramid of the outer up that's been the lifeblood of those companies. Have you seen any that are willing to take that risk yet and think about the labor market differently, you know, within the Fortune 500? I've seen many talk about it. I've seen many stand up their own venture initiatives and, and their own venture studios. I've seen many try and adapt startup methodologies and lean principles I've seen very, very, very few that I believe are doing it in a compelling way that's actually going to impact their future. You know, I think some of the most interesting in my mind that come to mind immediately is if you look at kind of what Unilever and what Kroger are doing, where they're actually acquiring large brands. So think of Unilever acquiring uh, Dollar Shave Club and a number of other digitally native brands and letting them continue to run as their own separate companies, their own separate entities just leveraging the resources of, you know, a multi-billion dollar company, public company. So I think another great analogy is um, Kroger acquiring Home Chef, which is another Chicago startup, you know, letting them continue to build their infrastructure and company, leveraging, you know, all of Kroger's amazing assets. So I think the ones that I've seen it do incredibly well are, um, are actually acquiring from the outside in and then using their infrastructure to help grow those businesses. Because it's really, really difficult to build that internally and totally transform a business from the inside out at that size and scale. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So, you know, if we've got one of those big companies listening or, you know, a startup that's thinking about where they're going, Hunt Club's playing in this space of human capital. So what are the big trends that you see coming in the next five years when it comes to human capital in this whole space? Yeah, I think it's, it's a couple different things. So it's one is, is the type of practical skills that a, um, an elder millennial or a Gen Zer has are quite a bit different than, than previous generations. So I think it's really figuring out how to tailor make, you know, corporate structures and, and tailor make opportunity to those types of profiles. So what that means specifically is, you know, the next generation wants flexibility. They want the ability to work from anywhere. They want the ability to, 
to work on really meaningful problems. They want transparency. They want to understand what the output of those efforts look like. And they want to understand how it impacts the greater company. You know, they're demanding things and, and asking for things in ways that traditional corporate America has never seen. So I think as companies think about really trying to, to create the next class of, of business leaders within their organization, you know, they really need to be honest and transparent about do they have the right structure to let a top performer continue to rise through their company in an expedited path that, uh, that accomplishes those things. Otherwise, they're going to jump to the next tech company. So I think that's, that's a huge trend. I think the other trends are really, you know, thinking about leveraging technology and, and automation, machine learning, and artificial intelligence to amplify the skills and the, the work of the traditional employee in person. So it's, you're seeing a lot now where new types of services, new types of, of products are all rolling out to help turn one person to have the ability to do the work of two to three to four. So I think it's, you'll see a big trend there where, where if you don't have native technology skills and understand how it works, you're going to be left behind. Makes sense. So another trend that you know I hear talked about quite a bit lately is increasingly high growth companies and investors as well really starting to look outside of Silicon Valley and maybe the traditional hotbeds of startups, whether that's to relocate or to move the company or to even just find that next destination. Do you think this is wishful thinking for you know guys like us that are really champions of the Midwest? Or is it something you're seeing firsthand with the Hunt Club clients and talent? Yeah, no, I think it's the reality of where the world's moving. I mean, granted, this is biased because I'm a Chicago boy, home, you know, grown, home raised, and and have been here pretty much my entire career. But you know, it's 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 a big trend that's happening. I think it's really being driven by a couple of reasons. The first is, you know, for the first time, venture capitalists are realizing that that a lot of great ideas and a lot of great companies can be built off of the the infrastructure that the Midwest has to offer. And a lot of concepts in agriculture, in construction, in healthcare, really the heartland is an incredible place to tackle those types of ideas due to access of customers. So I think a lot of people are taking notice of that. I think the second thing is, you know, people on the coast are starting to realize as they as they've been there for a decade or two that, you know, it's really difficult to have a high quality of life. So it's you can be excited about the problems you're working on and and the company you're, you're at, but if you're, you know, living in a 1400 square foot apartment with two kids and aren't really saving anything for their college, it's just, it, it becomes a really difficult equation versus, you know, moving to one of the suburbs of Chicagoland or moving to Cincinnati or Indianapolis where you can buy a house and, and start to work on some really interesting problems that are being started here. So I think, you know, the previous decade, we didn't have the types of companies that could support high altitude folks locally. And as we kind of, as those businesses grow and as we get more capital allocated here and there's more opportunity, I think you'll see quite a few people start to migrate back. And I think it's going to, it's going to change the dynamic of, uh, of the Midwest. Speaking of those uh, people that are migrating back, you and I have talked about this concept of boomerangs and some of the best talent and roles that Hunt Club has placed over the years have been those boomerangs where an amazing talent comes back to the Midwest or to their hometown or something of that nature. What do you think local communities and local startup ecosystems should be doing to think about identifying and promoting and attracting those boomerangs to come back? Yeah, I think it's, it's really about two or three different things. One is awareness. So you talk to people in San Francisco or New York or other coastal towns, about what's available in, uh, in Chicago and Cincinnati and Indy and the greater Midwest. 
a lot of them don't know that there's incredible companies being built here. So I think, you know, phase one is just really making them aware of what's here and what's going on and, and the types of companies that are being built here and, and the success stories and the fundraising and, and all of that. So I think once you've generated enough awareness, then I think it's really, you know, championing an introductory and relationship building process where you look at a lot of local funds now, they're actually building a talent partner function to go out and create relationships with great talent that, that isn't in the Midwest. So that at some point when their life gets to a threshold where they don't want to live in that 14, 1200 square foot apartment, they do want to work on interesting problems and come back to a, a place they love and know. Like it's, it's, it's a great place to do it. So I think, you know, really it's, it's continuing to build awareness and then two, like developing and pipelining relationships so that, you know, when you have the perfect opportunity for the perfect person that has roots in relationships and maybe went to college or grew up here or, or has in-laws here or whatever it might be, you're able to present it to them at the right moment. So I think the more that we can do that, the more we'll continue to foster the talent ecosystem. So let's dive in a little bit more about that people side of human capital. So for the yeah. longest time, you know, the best training for a future marketer, business leader was to go spend five to 10 years doing what you and I did, either start in big CPG, like a P&G or a General Mills, or go into the consulting world with the McKinsey's, the KPMG's, et cetera. But today, the talent coming out of that Fortune 500, oftentimes they're realizing that it's a new generation of skills that they need, things like performance marketing and other things that maybe aren't necessarily being taught in those traditional places. Yeah. What do you think that these leaders and future leaders of the business world, what should they be doing when they face these situations? What can they do to prepare themselves? And how do they really think about this next generation of skills that are needed? Yeah, I think it all comes down to really understanding the future of your business and, and how to hedge against either being disrupted or or, or continuing to pen your business with acquisition to, to make sure you're continuing to get digitally transformed to, to really kind of engage and find the best talent. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you have to provide opportunities that are as interesting as the ones that are in market that aren't at Fortune 500 companies. So if venture and private funding continues to grow at the rate that it does and without those dollars become more and more opportunities where people can go join a company that's growing multiple hundred percent year over year and, and get more responsibility that a young millennial ever should based on the nature of, you know, picking the right startup or the right growth company. Larger companies are going to have to compete with that. In order to compete with that, they're going to have to offer the same things. And by offering the same things, they're going to have to provide talent with an environment where there are no ceilings aside from how good somebody individually is at the pace that they want to move. So I think it's, it's a really tricky challenge for, for fast growing or for, for larger companies to think about how to transform their internal talent base when, when so much of it has, has almost fallen apathetic to, to what their day to day is at this point, where it's, it's a very much a routine. It's very much a paycheck. They know exactly what the promotion schedules are. They know exactly the politics they have to play. And I think that the thing I love about fast growing venture back companies and tech companies and, and entrepreneurship in general is, it's just democratizing the workforce. Like there is no pedigree doesn't matter. Sure. It gives you a leg up. You can start on second or third base. If you went to Harvard business school and, and have a trust fund and you can start your own company. But like, it just, it's, it's, if you have a great idea and if you have enough hustle and grit and, and you believe in something, like there's no reason why you can't be a CEO of a, 
of a large company one day that you build. So I think it's, that's the beauty of tech entrepreneurship is, is it's really kind of democratizing what someone can do versus being lumped into a traditional corporate hierarchy. So I think you know, in summary, large companies need to figure out a way to, to provide the same type of fast paced environment that does not put a governor or a ceiling on somebody, you know, in a large company. And that, that's going to allow them to track the talent because there's, there's so many interesting things about joining a big company, problems at scale, you know, resources, infrastructure. You just have to give people the ability to move at a speed that they can find at other places. Yep. And what about the people themselves? So take that person that has worked 10, 15 years at that same company. They've risen through the ranks, but mm-hmm. they realize that they're ready to go try something new but they realize that they might have a mismatch of the skills that got them to where they are today aren't necessarily the skills that that high growth company is looking for. You know, what can they do to better prepare themselves for that next opportunity or to position themselves as they look at that next opportunity? Yeah. I mean, we, we have this conversation all the time with thousands and thousands and thousands of people annually across some of the biggest companies. And it always, it always stems down to a couple of different things. So with obviously the access of content and information today on the internet, you know, someone can get really skilled and intelligent on a multitude of different topics really quickly. So if you've been a brand, a brand marketer your entire career and you're obsessed with performance marketing and you want to learn, you know, what to do to kind of acquire those skill sets to, to take to the next level, you know, there, there's millions of courses online now where you can hop in and just quickly learn. You can spin up your own Shopify site buy a product from Alibaba and, and start, you know, testing $5 a day on Facebook to see if you can drive traffic towards selling something. So I think there's creating your own business to acquiring the skills that, that you want to learn on the side. I think it's an excellent way to kind of introduce yourself to something new and something that's really tangible and, and resonates well with the startup community. I think the second thing is, is advisory roles. So you know, whereas large companies sometimes haven't moved and the employees and talent at those companies haven't moved at the speed that startups have, you know, they do have a wealth of information on how things work at scale, how to sell into a large company, how to politically align yourself to whatever they're doing from a strategic initiative wise. So I think if you've been working at a company for 10 to 15 years and you have ambitions to go into something earlier stage or, or faster, faster pace, you know, start really digging in and doing the work to help a lot of the venture ecosystem, the talent and the entrepreneurial ecosystem succeed. And so through that, you'd be shocked at the multitude of opportunities that can come your way. I think a, a third really interesting way is, is write a small angel investment check. You know, write a five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar check into a into a company locally that you believe in, that you want to support, that that you think you can learn a lot from. And I've you know, especially through my own investing career, I think you know, I've learned an order of magnitude from, from just supporting great entrepreneurs and getting to sit in the sidelines and cheerleading them as much as I have building. So I think if you're in a larger company and, and you really want to figure out a way to, to start acquiring some of the skill sets to get out and to, and to do something different, I think it's the more that you can get some skin in the game, whether it's personal time, learning online and testing or, or starting your own startup or, you know, small business on the side to acquire those skills or kind of investing and giving back into the community in which is already doing it, the closer you're going to map yourself to actually one of those opportunities. That's perfect. So, you know, on those, the last two points of those, you and I both have a lot of coffees with people that are looking to get involved with the startup world and they want to be an advisor or they want to do an investing, but they just don't even know where to start. 
how do you advise people kind of get going in that? Like I talk a lot about angel list and it used to be, you had to write a $25,000 check and find that company. But today you can do a syndicate and maybe do a thousand dollar or $2,000 check to, yeah. to learn. Like what else do you suggest of how to, does somebody even find out about these companies that might need their help? How do they raise their hand and say, I want to help be an advisor. I want to write a check and get involved. Yeah. So I think it's, there's like three or four different ways. So AngelList is an awesome one. They have a ton of the venture backed community that's filterable by location, by, by industry, by product type, by business. So it's, it's an incredible resource for people to jump on and see what's going on. You know, a couple other ideas are at this point, you know, every single region or, or major city has an accelerator program. Obviously, you know, think of things like Brandery, Techstars, Y Combinator. Understanding and getting involved in that ecosystem, whether it's a mentor or an advisor or someone that's really trying to add value, is another great way to do it. I think the third is really canvassing the local, you know, venture capitalists and really understanding what venture capitalists or private equity funds are in that market, understanding what portfolio companies they've invested in, and then really building relationships there to to try and drive value and access and, and help. And I think that, you know, the final thing and, and the most important thing in my mind is actually helping, right? Everyone wants to play entrepreneur. For some reason, it's really sexy and it's sad right now. Everyone acts like they want to add value, but actually do it. Introduce somebody to a customer, you know, write them a small check, introduce them to another investor, you know, help them actually spend five to 10 hours with them actually going through and building a product roadmap, you know, help them with their, their market positioning and actually have a deliverable that's an output. So I think it's, you know, a lot of people talk to talk the way that you really can get, you know, a startup founder or CEO's attention or, or venture capitalist's attention is to actually drive value in a really, in a real and deliverable way. And I think that that's going to make you jump off the page and that's going to help you set yourself up differently than most of the community. That's perfect. I love that point. And something that not enough people are doing to really think about how they position what they do with it. Totally. So I really enjoyed the conversation as always. It's always great to get your mind of where the world is going, how you're thinking about talent and startups. If a company wants to learn more about Hunt Club, or if an individual wants to become involved as part of your influencer network or anything else, how do they get in touch with you? And where do they start? Yeah, so, so the best way is to head out to our site at www.huntclub.com um, or shoot me a note at nick at huntclub.com and, and here to help on any angle and, and love conversations with people trying to, to drive impact, especially in the talent space. Awesome. Well, always a pleasure, Nick. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate your support for uh, predicting the turn as always. No, thank you, Dave. You're the best. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.